Hello, Legionnaires, and welcome to episode 159 of RPG Digest. Normally, in segment one, we read through a tabletop RPG to introduce it to you and sometimes to ourselves. In segment two, we provide higher-level overviews and fundamentals, even the occasional how-to. More on that next year. Of systems, settings, and game mechanics. I am John Max Liauschlow, your favorite curmudgeon, critic, and judge. Along with me, as usual, is my 300-point co-host, Brett heathen dog grissomer how are you today sir well i'm not invulnerable that's that's how that <laughs> works <laughs> no I'm, I'm doing well i'm doing well uh this week has been uh a pretty stay the course type week i mean if i were on a boat i'd be like wow the weather's been great i clocked a lot of nautical miles this week <laughs> that, that's a, that, that's about it i mean it, no, nothing really happened all, all the all the cool stuff happened last week so there's yeah, that. this this week it was just work, 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 work. Friday I had to call in sick because uh, I could not sleep Thursday night. I was just, I don't know what it was. By the time I got to sleep, I'm like, nope. Plus, you know what? It's a day before a week of vacation. That's <laughs> sick time. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, uh, that's the only thing that uh, I did sleep until almost noon that day, though. But it's uh, about all I have going on. So okay. and I don't want to keep our guests waiting too much. So unless there's anything important going on, I think uh, we move on here. What do you think? We're good. All right. Let me uh, first of all, thank everybody out there. I want to thank all you wonderful people out there who support us monetarily. Your gracious donations help us provide giveaways, produce more content, and generally give back to Legion Myth community as a whole. We have over 4,700 YouTube subscribers, and we are thankful for each and every one of you. As a reminder, at 5,000 subscribers, I have a fairly big giveaway called Here, Have Max's Crap Giveaway as well as some gift cards for our international viewers. And if you watched the members only live stream last month, uh, you'd, or two weeks ago, was that? Uh, you would have seen the books and the condition that they're in. But, uh, check the description below for the links to various Legion Myth sites, social media, Discord, merch, etc. We believe that role-playing games should take place in fantastic worlds, and the focus of the game should be on role-playing and having a good time. The core values of hashtag RPGate are escapism, not representation, entertainment over activism. Man, we're going to be entertained today. And natural, Ooh. organic inclusion, not forced diversity. The charity we support is the Wounded Warrior Project, a national nonpartisan organization whose mission is to honor and empower wounded warriors. Please refer to the description below or that. Just scan that. Come on, that guy's cute. You want to scan him in, don't you? <laughs> for your hopefully tax-deductible donation. And by the way, on Veterans Day here in America, November 11th, we'll be doing a 24-hour live stream. I still have to figure out what part of that heathen dog. You did agree to it. I heard you. It's on no, tape it's somewhere. 100%. Uh, you're right. Uh, so just like we did last year, so we hope to have as good of a showing as we did last year. And of course, please like, subscribe, and share. Now, before we bring in our guest, I have something that I want to read. There's a reason for this that on the screen boom look at that nice big text frame we're going to focus on that first line role-playing game manifesto and i'd like to say right off the bat that's very brave purposefully naming something you wrote as a manifesto <laughs> i mean that that, that like it could go bad real quick <laughs> well fo follow the rules or don't i'm a game manifesto not a cop now why did i read that because uh yesterday i received quite a few messages about uh how I'm not a good person. <laughs> we'll just put it that way. But well, there so, are many reasons why I, I could say you're not a good true. person, but probably none of them are what was brought no, up. I'm being a hypocrite, yada, yada. And I'm not going to get into all that. Uh, not, not for this. We're going to have a fun stream. But my, my point for putting that up there is if there's something in the book you don't like, not that you needed to be told that, change it. 
I don't even know what else to say on that. You got anything, Heathen Dog? I don't know, if man. There's something uh, that comes up that you don't like. You don't like a history of the world. You don't like a setting. You don't like the color of a character's hair. Guess what you can do? You can take your, if you kind of don't like it, you can take your pencil and cross it out. If you really, really don't like it, you can take your pen and cross it out. You know why? Because you own the book. It's your book exactly. now. You could use it how you wish. You can build a fire with it. I don't care. Like you do with Darkest Dungeon. Like, like, well, it made a fire. I didn't really build a fire. I made the fire happen to it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That. All right. Well, with that, I think it is time to bring in our honored guest for today. Boom. Mark McKinnon. Good to see you, sir. So how are you today? Uh, Things are good. Happy Thanksgiving to uh, you too and all the Canadians watching the show as well. I was feeling abused on Friday, so I wore I wore my old North Star shirt because I figured everybody on my stream is Canadian, so I had to wear a hockey shirt to fit in. And then they told me it's not a team anymore. What? Nope. <laughs> well, yeah, but the 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 country of Canada instantly turned your shirt into a classic. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Think of it that way. <laughs> so, uh, for those folks out there who may not know who you are, what you do, can you give us a little introduction about who you are and what it is you do? Sure. So I'm uh, Mark McKinnon. So I'm the president of Discami Publishing Company. I'm, I'm the primary game designer. I don't do as much writing as I used to now that we have creatives working with the company, but I'm the one that back in 1997 started up a company to publish our Big Eye Small Mouth uh, anime RPG. And that grew into a company that eventually uh, about 10 years later went under unfortunately and then time passed i went through real estate went through being a politician and then went back into a game company and now the this game company Discami publishing has been around longer than my first game company so uh it's uh, it's quite an achievement for that and we mainly published rpgs I, i've dabbled in tabletop uh, board games when we started out we got we had a license for sailor moon to do some uh tabletop games with that but now we're focused mainly on doing role-playing games and you know that's me for those who missed the last time that you were on and we had that pretty big giveaway thank you very much mm. for those by the way uh, i got lots of comments back people loved every one of them like personally and this isn't trying to be insulting i just don't get it. it's like with him and anime he loves anime i don't understand that but that's fine yeah. um people love those sailor moon games like the, the we gave out worm we gave out sailor moon we gave out, and every one of them people came back and said this has been awesome I'm playing it with my kids been playing it with myself whatever so every one of them whatever you're selling out there and i don't know what you have new and we'll find that out today but uh people have enjoyed what you've been putting out there so that's a good thing wonderful thank you so uh and i have to ask the other obligatory question here how's the shoulder that's <laughs> great uh hey, i'm i actually yeah it's uh before I could move it up, you know, maybe a foot off my body, but now it's back to normal. Uh, it's amazing what a lot of money will do uh, in the hands of professionals <laughs> and in uh, some fentanyl, and, you know, to get rid of the pain. But it was uh, life changing. It's been just over a year now. It happened in August last year. I had a frozen shoulder. And, you know, thanks to your viewers, uh, really helped out with some of the financing for that. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't, although we, you know, Canada has a great system for public health care but not for something like this unfortunately so i'm probably 98 percent uh, now that's I, awesome yeah work out regularly and you know there's always pain at the at the furthest end of the stretching i can still feel the pain but in the end uh you know so much better so thank you yeah it's it's great it's great to hear so 
we invited you on because you've got this backer kick. I don't know what to call it. Is, do they call it a backer kick like they do a Kickstarter? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish. No, unfortunately, it's not a really easy terminology because everyone knows backer kit as the back end software. That's always been, you know, you get your backer kit survey after your Kickstarter. But yep. they started up something. Did they just called crowdfunding okay. by backer kit? So it is a crowdfunding campaign on backer kit. All right. So we, we want to talk to you about that. So leading into this before, actually, before I share it on the screen, this is a, for the game Absolute Power. And I'll get it up on the screen here in just a moment. Uh, we'll talk about that more. But can you give an elevator pitch of what Absolute Power is, uh, for the, again, for people who don't know? Yeah, sure. Uh, so that is our superhero game, our role-playing game that we do. It is the second edition of Silver Age Sentinels that uh, my previous company published in 2000, uh, 2001 time period. And the retitling to absolute power because the setting has changed 20 years. The, our real world has gone 20 years. So we changed the setting to match the real world time. Uh, the world isn't the same as it used to be. Silver Age Sentinels at the time made sense for what we're doing, but given the tonality shift in what's happening in the world, I think everyone will kind of see that, you know, 20 years ago versus today, it's a little bit different. So absolute power seemed to make more sense for us to go with that title. And it's our a game we came out with, uh, we published it last year. And this is the first crowdfunding campaign for a series of expansions that we have for it to expand the setting, expand the characters and offer some game accessories as well. All right. Pete and Dog, if you have any questions while I get this set up, go ahead. Or if you want to wait. Here. Yeah, I want to wait. I want to wait. Okay. Until I then let's... Uh, Get this on the screen. So here we are. I've already got the links in the description. Uh, so anybody wants to check that out. I'm not going to play the video this time. Apparently, <laughs> people don't like it when I do that. So we'll, uh, we'll scroll down here. We'll talk about uh, what the different uh, backing levels are. But uh, so without reading this word for word, so to speak, uh, how what are the main uh, points of what season one and season two are? And I guess my first question with that is, why is there a season one and a season two? <laughs> How do we skip ahead a season? <laughs> yeah. And so what that was is whenever we were looking at publishing expansions, we knew right off the bat that we're going to focus on some of the setting information. Unlike a traditional RPG, like, like say a, a Dungeons and Dragons style, where you'll have a discrete monster book, a discrete spell book, and everything is very compartmentalized. Well, the approach we're taking with Absolute Power is to advance setting forward. And by advance the setting, we are going to introduce new characters, uh, some new game rules, some you know templates, minions, uh, opponents, and whatnot. And so, what we have is the absolute power starts kind of January first, two thousand and twenty-one. So, twenty twenty happened, and the the December thirty-first of that year is kind of the ending of the core rulebook. Is when we we ended the setting there. Then we're looking at doing uh, absolute power annuals at that point. Annuals are very comic booky, and doing a 2021 annual, a 2022 annual. That was what our goal was. But we, for somewhat marketing reasons, that having the word 2021 on the front cover of a book uh, dates it automatically. And mm, we also we also know that so that that's problematic to call it the 2021 annual. And also we looked at the uh, obviously television and movies are kind of popular with superheroes and we thought doing a season one and a season two seemed to be a better approach for what we're looking at doing it is still the 2021 annual that's season one the 2022 annual is season two and the reason why they came out at the same time uh for two reasons one when we do 
uh, crowdfunding campaigns, we generally like to do multiple products at once rather than having people pay a, you know, a, a reasonably hefty shipping charge for a single product. And so we do do like batching things together, but also because of the development time it took to get uh, everything up and running and the fact that Absolute Power runs in parallel with the real world events, we couldn't talk about what was happening in 2021 until 2022 until, first of all, the year was done. Secondly, we realized how we're going to approach the writing of it because there's been some really big events, real world, that have happened in the past couple of years. Uh, and so while in 2020, we covered the beginning of the pandemic, you know, happens in the absolute power world because it happens in the real world with the it took a little bit of time for us to get the core book off the ground get it published and then start writing the expansions for season one and season two so the fact that we did 2021 2022 at the same time just made sense for what we were looking at doing and that's why those two products in particular are there as well as a couple of uh, other expansions accessories okay okay i i have a question uh you, you said it a couple of times uh real world events happening in, in your book and you waited a year to get the the most information the most correct information you could so you could properly i you could properly portray it in the game and a lot of gaming companies have moved away from world building they've uh they, they they've only given you hey this is the these are the these are the races or classes or kinds of people in the world. This is how the rules work. You got to build your own thing. I understand that. I don't like it myself. I, I like, you know, the whole framework of an entire world and how the world works and how the world reacts to certain things and having their own groups and stuff like that. You decide to go that way. But uh, most people don't use current events or current ish events when they are writing their game. Again, it it has a tendency to maybe date it after, after a few years. Why did you decide to use current events in your books? For example, the, uh, uh, the coronavirus or George Floyd or all that stuff. Why did you use that? What was your, uh, thought process behind using that? Yeah. And that actually, that decision point goes back to silver age sentinels back 20 years ago. Uh, Tristat system, which is the underlying system used to power absolute power in Silver Age Sentinels, we use that in our in our bigger smallmouth anime game. Yep. It's just a generic system, like a Champions or uh, GURPS or whatnot. And so we've we could just publish a system, and in fact, we've done that. We've published the Tristat book. We've published Bessel. Mm -hmm. and so we could create an entire superhero fictional superhero universe. Call it, uh, you know, Super City. And set it somewhere and could be in North America or it could be a fictitious planet or world even if we sure. wanted to do that. But when we did Silver Age Sentinels, no one else that we knew of were, was heavily integrating real world events with their superhero setting. Uh, you know, when we look at something like Marvel and DC, for example, uh, Marvel is, you know, pretty clearly uh heavily heavily based on our real world without doing a lot of the, the shifts where dc brings in metropolis for new york for example so they mm -hmm. they kind of hide some things but in the end everyone knows metropolis is new it's york. a it's a, an analogous happen. thing like yeah, metropolis it's definitely is analogous a, to new york and gotham absolutely. is analogous to either chicago or detroit depending on who you ask right so, where if you yeah. look at the marvel movies you know they're actually fighting in new york they're they're not right. fighting in the right. fictitious thing and so we decided to adopt that model but take it a step even further and it was 
uh, something that in Silvery Sentinels wasn't done at the time. When we advance forward, uh, it, Silvery Sentinels has been on print for a long time. And when we got the license to do a second edition of it, and we decided to retitle it Absolute Power, it just made sense that you know, it's been 20 years since Silvery Sentinels came out. Why don't we take the real world and advance it by 20 years as well? And there are a couple of reasons why placing a superhero game in the real world uh, has some real impact. I mean, first of all, it gives context to people in, immediately without having to explain all the setup of the world. So if you're doing a fantasy RPG and you know it's your own original creation, you got to explain everything about it from the, the metaphysics, the cosmology. Uh, you have to kind of go into every aspect and there's going to be so much you're not going to cover where when we did Silver Age Sentinels, we talked about what happened during World War II and how some of the superheroes got their powers and when they first came out. And then here's all these events that led up to the year 2000. It immediately gives context to the decisions that the characters have and who those characters are and why they have those powers the way they do. And that built-in almost shared world, even though it's, it's a real world, but it's a shared world community, allows us to focus more on the examples of the characters and the items and the equipment because we already know the commonality of what the setting is that made sense to us. And, it, and it's challenging. It's absolutely special when you have something like, um, well, when the game came out, 9-11 hadn't happened. And so we didn't have to deal with 9-11. Well, absolute power, we have to at least dress it. Like, why didn't the superheroes stop 9-11? Why didn't, you know, uh, what we talked, you touch upon, for example, uh, COVID. Was COVID a super villain plot that did that? No, no, it wasn't at all. And here's how we dealt with it. And that is a very interesting way to, have a game where no other game out there that I know does it to the extent that we do. And that kind of sets it aside, given that the game system is it's Tristat, it's Bessa, it is, it's already been done. And we thought, well, what is going to make this game stand out as a superhero game? It's going to be the setting. And rather than create it from scratch, yeah, let's, let's go and build upon what's happening in the real world. There's <laughs> lots of source material available for us. That is, that is true. I mean, uh, a, a lot of, uh, comics and uh books and movies and role-playing games if if they use real world stuff they they stick to main global events world war one world war two spanish flu uh you know earthquakes tidal waves stuff like that that actually happened and you know can be put okay this happened in 18 whatever this happened in 19 whatever and it happens the same way but in in absolute power book two uh when when it it, it talks about the the background quite a bit uh, you you go deeper into specific events that are not global, but more local. At at the very most local to the country, at the very at the very least local to just that area where it happened. Why why did you get so specific? That that's what I mean. Like yeah, well certainly when you're dealing with. Yeah, when you're dealing with the, the bigger historical events, obviously it's it's somewhat safe to talk about what happened during World War One and World War Two, and you can have a little bit more influence, perhaps, on some of the you know historical events that are long time past. Something's a year or two old, though. You have to be really cautious with how you're going to approach it. So there's two reasons. One, we don't want to. This is not a game about playing Earth. This is not this. You know, this is not real life. The role playing game. It is still a fictional superhero game. But one of the reasons we go on to into some of the minutia of some of the smaller things is provides interesting hooks for the characters. As an example, we have a character called Citizen Prometheus. They used to be Officer Prometheus in Silver Age Sentinels. They were working for the uh, Empire City. 
uh, police department, which is you know, New York. Uh, sure. They worked for there. But the events that happened with some of the things around the Black Lives Matter movement uh, and the kettling that was happening in uh, New York City that he could not he thought he could no longer be a police officer given what he saw. And so he went from officer Prometheus to citizen Prometheus. This gives us a way to show characters how characters can develop based on what's happening in the world. And it was a, a great opportunity for us to, to go a little deeper on something that wasn't perhaps a massive event of, of what a, a specific incident that happened in New York City. But it is something that was, you know, to that individual superhero character was important. And so we can go a little bit deeper on things without having everything being about the two or three gigantic things that happened. But even something, you know, in terms of world shaking COVID, how it affected our world, we don't dwell on it in, in absolute power. I mean, it's mentioned. Uh, it's certainly there was something that happened. Why did, don't the superhero magicians cure everyone of COVID? Well, there's a reason. So we address it. But we don't go into any great detail on the big events either, but it, having a chance to go on some of the smaller events is interesting uh, from world building. Well, that, that kind of gives it almost, uh, and again, pardon my comic book ignorance here, but uh, almost a Batman kind of feel to it. Like back, Batman was traumatized by something that happened to him personally. Hmm. So something that happens to, you know, that influences somebody, whether again, people out there, want to have opinions about the real world event on that one, you can see how it can shape somebody into acting one way or to be fair, another way as well. And, and how they are real people. And that's one of the things that you mentioned a few times when it comes to the book is that these are real people. They got superpowers, but they're real people. Yeah. And we could have taken the approach like, like the Bart Simpsons, right? Right. Where Bart Simpson episode one versus Bart Simpson. Now they're kind of the same character. There's not a lot of growth. He's probably still in the same grade or maybe only one grade higher, even though it's been 30 years later. Uh, we didn't want that approach for our, our characters. We wanted all the characters to go through a growth. Some of them got more powerful. Some of them got faster or stronger. Some of them got weaker. Uh, Doc Simitier, our undead voodoo uh, you know, villain, uh, actually got weaker over time. And he used to be a major villain and now he's not. Where other characters you know, went from good to bad or bad to good or neutral. And so, yeah, we, we tried to make the characters as real as we can. And given that we're jumping 20 years from Silver Age Sentinels to Absolute Power, we got to explore all the different ways characters can evolve looking at the real world events and what ended up happening there. And that was an exciting opportunity, challenging, super challenging, especially in the, the recent two expansions, season one and season two, because you anytime you're going to touch upon anything in real world that that affects people, you have to do it with compassion. You have to be considerate on how you're doing it. And it's and it could bite you in the ass. Uh, it could be a very difficult thing to do if you do it uh, haphazardly, flippantly and say, oh, well, this thing that this terrible thing that humans did was actually a super villain behind it all. Well, that takes away all the agency from what humans actually did. And we don't want to get involved with that. So the way we've set up the absolute power is they are on the peripheral of what's happening in real world, but they are not changing real world events in a great way. So COVID still happened. Uh, the war in Ukraine still happens and is happening. Uh, you're going to have large events where, yes, there's a superpower or supervillain influence and they're kind of off on the side but that doesn't change what the humans did and that was really important for us to maintain that integrity okay mm. so so let's talk about let me get this back on the screen here uh what happens 
in season one without spoilers <laughs> but uh what, what generally what happens in season one and well after we do the second one i've got a, a follow-up question that ties all this together Sure. Well, there there is you know a numerous different things that happened. But the big one, why you know the cover image that shows, while we call it urban warfare, and this is a group that we call the evil eyes. They are the um, let's say organized crime metahumans. It's probably the easiest way to describe them. They go and invade the Five Shields corporate headquarters, which is what you see in the background. Five Shields is uh, they are your commercial boy band superhero mercenary group. So you could. The analogy would be the boys, but you know, not evil. Less evil, uh, exactly. Less <laughs> evil, but they are—they're mercenaries. You know, they are, right. um, they, and they're all about corporate. So they're about you know, market share and likes and retweets and selling merchandise and making money by selling off their services as mercenaries. Well, here's a group that goes and invades them because they're uh, the evil eyes are on a recruitment mission, and so they go and decide to invade their corporate headquarters. And that was. The, the, the most significant event. Now that was obviously completely fictional. There's no analogy to that, uh, that we trend, tend to focus the big events on things that we consider to be fictional and then address the real world things that's happening in there. So yeah, there are numerous events that happen, uh, but that is the big one. The second thing that we've covered is we go into the two superhero uh, schools, I guess you'd call them. Think of them like Professor Xavier's uh, schools. So there's one called the Yamatai Academy in Japan, and there's one, the Harrison Academy in Empire City, New York. And so we just talk a little bit about superhero academies. So it's not an event so much. There are a few things that happen. The evil eyes go and try to recruit at the school, for example, and we talk about what happens there. But it gave us a chance to expand the mechanics, expand the setting material in the context of what the characters in the world are doing. And that's why we decided to focus on, on the Academy. So it's kind of the invasion and the Academy are the two to the two big things that happen in season one. So, okay. so what uh, rule changes or updates or expansions can uh, people expect in this book? Yeah. So there's, because of the TriStat system, the underlying system for the game, it's really complete. I mean, it's a multi-genre universal system. So there's not going to be a lot of wholesale changes. We'll talk about, well, here's the application of at the Yamatai Academy, they have the, the turrets or the security systems. And here's how those are built out, for example. We'll give uh, 50 different characters, fully statted, fully background information. And through the examples of the characters we, we show, we show a power building. So it's kind of like if you were to build Spider-Man and say, here's Spider-Man in absolute power. It's not telling people play Spider-Man. It's saying, here's how you build a character like Spider-Man. And here's some of the nuances of the character design choices, which you can then use for inspiration. Or if you want, you can use the character directly as it is, as a PC or as an NPC. And so we use characters as a way to demonstrate our system and that's through our npcs and so those are the main aspects that we're doing we're not going into a lot of uh oh here's all these new powers that came out because quite frankly the the core rules has everything you need and we may add a little tweak once in a while uh, but typically what we're doing is we're showing the application of what's in the core rules rather than adding more core rules because it's unlike Dungeons and dragons where you just okay here's a book of a bunch of new spells uh we kind of <laughs> have everything done the what best we could do is show you how to expand out what we give uh, through examples. Have you run into a system with, or, or situation with, with TriStat where it's like, 
huh, that ended up being a little overpowered or underpowered than we expected and had to tweak uh, like how it works, say across Bessem versus Absolute Power or the Tri-Stat itself? Or, or, um, or were those pretty well mapped out? Early on, there was more... As, as the system first came out, I mean, the first book that I did in Best and Firth Edition was 16,000 words. You know, it, was, it was very small. Now we're up to like 100,000 plus. So the system has grown a lot. And during that early phases, there was some, oh, we made a mistake here. Oh, we made a little tweak there. But TriStat has evolved to a point now in this version of TriStat that it's pretty well good. We may add in an extra little thing once in a while that, like, for example, something new in Absolute Power that's not in Bessem, even though they both use the same system. We brought in uh, an attribute called Taunt. Taunt is a way of forcing someone else's die rolls to uh, have a, an obstacle. It'd be basically, you're at a disadvantage when you're rolling on there. So it's not something you are doing. It's something you're affecting other people's roles. And think of someone like the Joker, uh, you know, getting underneath your skin by taunting them. So we called it taunt. And that's one of the things that we came up with. That's in the core rules for absolute power. There's not anything new that's came out from there. The big difference when we shifted from Bessem to absolute power, even though they used the same system, was super strength. And that's because with what we thought scaled appropriately for super strength in an anime game, it needed to be brought up to a higher level in absolute power. And so we doubled the super strength scaling. We also doubled the cost. So it's effectively the same attribute, but instead of four points, it's now eight points and the, the, the speed is double. So in absolute power, when you go up to level 10 in super strength, that's equivalent to level 20 in Bessem, which we just never went up that high. Bessem is kind of known as the one to six levels. Absolute power is one to 10. Because again, with superpowers, you often go up a little bit higher. That's not to say you don't have people like Dragon Ball Z, where you need right. massively higher power. But yeah. in general, it is a lower power. Characters are maybe between 50 and 100, where in absolute power, going from 100 is kind of the like the low end of superheroes up to 3, 350. And that's only because of the, the power scaling that we have. Basically just answered three questions I had with that answer right there. <laughs> well, uh, hang on. I, it actually brought up one question for me. You, you cool. said, uh, you know, uh, there there are some instances in, in the game using the rules that you're going to be at an advantage or disadvantage when you're rolling. Now, in, in your game, it's called edges and what? Obstacles. Obstacles, Obstacles exactly. But in uh, it, that seems similar to advantage and disadvantage in in the d in the d20 system let me but before you before you answer where you, where you got it from uh i'll explain to the people watching for for most most roles that mean anything in this game you're rolling 2d6 adding together and and you're you're getting your your total if you have an edge you're rolling a minor edge you're rolling 3d6 taking the two highest if you have a major edge you roll 4d6 and take the two highest so you have a greater chance of having a higher total and of course, the the opposite is true. When you're at when you're at a disadvantage, you roll three d six and take the two lowest, or four d six and take the two lowest. Now, this is very very similar to the to the d twenty advantage disadvantage rolling two d twenty taking the highest, rolling two d twenty taking the lowest. Where did you get your your uh, uh, take on on the, this idea from? Well, with edges and obstacles, there you will uh, see that the serial numbers have been filed off. And so it's you know very clearly inspired by edges, uh, edges and obstacles inspired by the advantages, advantages in D and D. Specifically, old Bessem, old Tristat, Absolute Power, or 
Silvery Sentinels, everything was was fixed modifiers, plus one, plus two, plus three. That was very common. Um, when fifth edition of D&D came out, I didn't immediately play it, but I was sitting down when I was looking at developing fourth edition of Bessem, and I sat down with some people who were familiar with a lot, and I was like, hey, you know, I'm looking for something here, and, you know, do you have any suggestions? We're kind of brainstorming with, with some franchise, like, oh, why don't you try advantages and disadvantages? It's like, tell me more about this. And when he explained it, I was like, oh, we can do even better by having more dice. So rather than just, you know, like crank it up to 11, rather than just D20, and then you roll one more d20 is we could do a three or four rather than the two dice because we like the bell curves or you know almost bell curves and that allowed us to uh stack things a little bit better it also allows us to you know have a spectrum where if you have three major edges two minor edges and two minor obstacles and you can go up and down the spectrum on how many dice you're rolling rather than kind of a binary are you rolling a die or are you not uh, but it was certainly inspired by fifth edition which you know was not a new game it came out in 2014 so it's been around quite a while but it wasn't something we had ever done in the past we were always straight modifiers and one of the reasons i really liked it is well we know gamers like rolling dice Less mass. And, yeah. yeah, they they do. And it's also fewer things to remember, right? So it's like, oh, was this a plus one modifier, or plus two modifier? It's not to say we don't have any flat modifiers in the game, but it's far easier to remember, oh, you know, throw an edge, throw an obstacle. And the the GMs don't have to kind of look up every time. It's like, oh, let me look on this chart and see what are the, the advantage of when your target's going this speed and you're going that speed. You could just kind of very easily say, well, you know, that sounds really difficult. So yeah, you get a major obstacle on the roll. So it it covered two things. One, it it cleaned up the all the minor pluses and minuses, but it also uh, allowed us to have a a more elegant system, but it was a hundred percent inspired by what was in D twenty from uh, fifth edition. It's it's good. It's it's really good, and it was and it was a great addition to Bessem. That's one of my favorite aspects of Five E. I'm not a huge fan of Five E, but that's one of the things that I really did like. And you you spoke my you were talking directly to me. You might not have realized it, but I like rolling more dice and bell curves. Are uh, I can't stand linear die rolls, so I, I'm all right. in with that. Uh, we got a couple questions from the audience, but before we do that, I want to kind of stay on uh, what we got here. Let's move sure. to season two real quickly. Yeah. So season two is is even easier to talk about. I mean, it's okay. called Dark Empire. That is the big thing. So you'll see on the cover, uh, this is the dark version from another dimension of the Guard, which are our main, think of like the JLA. So is this when, mirror universe? It is mirror universe. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So, you, you know, you knew the, the beard of evil has to be around the main <laughs> characters. Uh, instead of Sentinel, he's white Sentinel. Um, you know, instead of red Phoenix, is black Phoenix. But this came out when we did Silver Age Sentinels. We threw in, it was only a paragraph or two about in their in their headquarters, an Olympian tower, a doorway opened up from another dimension and mirror universe people came through and they fought them and they won and then they sealed the door. And it was literally a paragraph or two. But I always love the concept of, of these mirror universe characters. I mean, it's certainly common in science fiction fantasy. Uh, my first introduction, undoubtedly, the Mirror Mirror episode of Star Trek original series with evil yep. Spock. With the, That's where the beard of evil came from. And to have a chance to go back finally to, you know, 20 years later and address what happens in this dark empire. And so the Empire Guard, once again, opens up, uh, managed to find a way into our Earth. But it's not just these five main villains, which are the uh, analogous to the heroes, but also some of the 
heroes come through that are analogous to the villains. So instead of the white rooks, these are the red knights. And so the red knights come through. And then it's this cross-dimensional, you know, which we know multiverses are very... Uh, let's say topical right now in superhero worlds. And this is a chance that while we knew we've always had a multiverse, this is a book about some of the multiverse. And there's also, uh, so we have Sentinel Earth, which is our main primary, that's our world. Then there's Dark Empire. And then there's Silver Earth, which is kind of a, a Paragon style uh, that is far future. And so this is a way for us to start crossing over to some of these characters. And now when we provide 50 new characters in the book, was like, well, here's the version, but if you wanted the evil version of this hero, you can keep the exact same stats. And suddenly we've doubled the number of villains you can have, double the number of neutrals. Maybe the neutrals are good or bad or, or whatnot. And you can tweak them as you need to. These characters aren't exactly the same. For example, White Sentinel, the, the main character uh, on there, his combat isn't quite as good because unlike our Sentinel, our Superman, uh, Captain America hybrid, um, who as a good person will always fight the villains and try to capture them, uh, White Sentinel just kills everyone. So he doesn't have as much experience fighting because you know, he just makes doesn't sure everyone's to. dead. Yeah. Uh, so he doesn't have to fight as much because he's so powerful where if you're holding yourself back and you're trying to find a way to capture people, not kill them, you know, these are some of the, the you have to design develop decisions. You, you do. And this is something we've had a chance to go into the the characters and their parallel universes. Dark Empire, it's not just about this. I mean, literally, while I talk about how important this is, it only takes up a couple pages in the book in terms of the setting, because this isn't a book about hair. Look at look at our setting. And this is we're not writing a novel, right? We're writing a game book. And so we present a framework. We present some of the the goals and the activities that have happened, but they're used to be they're they're used as a an example of what you can do in your game. And here's how to world run parallel world worlds or multiverses in the game that you're going to run. So we're we're definitely not trying to get people to play in our novel. We are giving a setting expansion to show people how they can create their own setting through examples and context of what we provide. Okay, I love uh, that you, word framework. Go ahead. Right. Uh, you using that to springboard off of in uh, in book two. It it does it does a lot of the history and when world building of of your setting. Is there going to be something like that for the Dark Empire? How it like it'll it'll be the same general, you know, timeline, right? right. But key events will be different to show that the mirror universe is a different place and how that all, how that all, uh, uh, snowballs to create now what would seem like a vastly different world because of all these little tiny decisions that, that were made mm. differently in this mirror universe. Now, now we have a completely different result and the world feels very different because of that. Uh, can we expect something like that in the future as a supplement or, or, a addition or anything like that? Yeah. So when we did dark empire or, Silver Earth, uh, any or or Red Union, uh, which is more of a Soviet version of our you know old school Soviet. This is something we we talked about it in the core rules. Uh, we gave a little explanation. Then we move forward to this expansion, and through talking about the here's what happened since Silver Age Sentinels. You know when the door got shut down uh, and it, it was it was closed off. Here's kind of some of the things that was going on in Dark Empire. Here's some of the inflection points about characters even prior to that settings around world war ii you know why is white sentinel the way he is why is crusader who 
this Crusader in our um, primary setting. Why is Crusader the way he is? And so we, we expand out a little bit more in it, in the setting part of it. And then when we present the full character bios, we give in for even more context about some of the, the inflection points of the decision. So yes, Alice, Queen of, Queen of Wonder is very, very similar to Alice, Queen of Hearts. However, Here's some of the here's the, where some of the things break from it. We don't again. We're not writing a novel, so that's not right. what this is about. But we show how some of these uh, important inflection points can change a character based on what happens here. So we're not planning at this point of doing you know a full Dark Empire setting uh, because that really wasn't the focus. This is still the focus of the campaign world to sell our our. Sentinel Earth, which is our primary world, but we give enough information in, in a few different places rather than in one cohesive place because we want to say, well, this is what happened with the characters, here's what happened with the setting. And that is pretty well presented in from the core book to what we present here. And we're, we're really happy to have a chance to go into it. But again, um, you know, we're this isn't the world of darkness. It's not that setting specific. And so we there's so many things to touch upon uh, obviously, everything that happened in 2021 in a fairly small book, uh, we can't cover everything. And we have over 100 pages of just of characters themselves. So I'd say that the Dark Empire universe is is well served with what we've done rather than creating more of it. Hmm. And you could always, I mean, you've touched on, at least even in this book, which I've taken the cover off to read, but uh, even in that book, you've touched on so many uh, topical instances where like even even though I was asked the question about you know kind of diving into some of that minutiae there that if some of the minutiae was missed well guess what you, you have that framework again mm -hmm. in order to handle it the way you want maybe there's a news event that was important to you maybe it was superpower uh superhero influenced maybe it was mud maybe people are angry that superheroes didn't get involved or they're angry they did get involved what's what? are you gonna say muggles just then muggles. <laughs> maybe it was superheroes maybe it was muggles no. I thought you were going to say Muggles then. No, I had. I don't even know what Muggles is, but no. So um, we'll cover some of the rest of the backer kit stuff uh, yeah. a little bit later. We'll show off the products and, and uh, like the cards and so forth a little bit. But because uh, I don't want to keep you small on the screen the entire time. I do have one question that kind of ties us up. Then we'll get to then we'll finally get to the viewer questions. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, so what, if anything, I'll just read it the way I wrote it down. Uh, will people get into absolute power today miss out on anything if they immediately incorporate season one, season two? So is there anything special in this that would be, wow, you really want to start here first. If you if you start diving into season one, season two, you're going to miss some important uh, events or some support, uh, important ideas, concepts. Right. And and no, there, there wouldn't be because, uh, yeah, obviously if you say, well, I'm going to start a, my superhero campaign Pre or post COVID, let's just take a really simple thing that you know, is fairly topical. Obviously, what what choices the characters may make, what choices that you might have in your setting, uh, if you take a major event and you start it pre or post that, could obviously change what your characters are going to be doing. But what we present in absolute power is backstory. And so when you, when you say, well, if I'm going to jump in, I want to start something in 2021. Well, of course, what happened in 2020 and be up before that all still happened. Uh, it just chooses where you choose where you're going to start your campaign. If you want to start in 2022, great. Everything that was in 2021 and 2020 and before that all still happened. So there's no worry of when people decide to jump in. The only difference would be, of course, if you decide, oh, I'm going to start my game in 1990, then clearly anything that happened after that hasn't happened. <laughs> uh, unless you'd bring in some sort of parallel universe, time travel, which is 
always easy enough to explain away, <laughs> but uh, people aren't going to be walking around with their with their iPhones. Uh, and, you know, the good old it's actually, it's actually funny watching old TV shows. Now something set in the 80s or 90s. I'm like, oh, my God, this whole plot would be gone if he just picked up a cell phone and called <laughs> someone. But that wasn't the, it back then. And so, yeah, it does change your, your choices you make. But in terms of, is there a danger in starting later? No. And that's because everything new builds on everything in the past. Perfect. Ready for some viewer questions, Ian Dog, or do yeah. you have any follow-ups here? No, I'm good. Let's All right. It. Let's, uh, some of these. So with the other superhero games out there, what makes this one the one to have? Yeah. And so... Everyone has their own favorite superhero game. If you if you go online, go to Reddit or anything else, and someone says, oh, what superhero game should I play? Everyone will talk about their favorite game. And there are so many superhero games. And so we're, we're not saying absolute power is best. No, absolutely not. Uh, I would say if you're going to play a superhero game, number one thing is you have to like the system. Because while you can create your own world, Creating your own system is not a lot of people are are set up to do that. Not a lot of people want to do that. You know, there's so if you if you like rolling a single d20, mutes and masterminds probably for you. If you like rolling dice pools, you're going to be in a different game. If you want something super rules light, you're going to go with a more narrative type system. So we think TriStat is more closer to the vein of a champions or you know, slash hero or GURPS in the sense of it is a comprehensive multi-genre, multi-universal point by system. And so you're building exactly what you want. So you're not going to do a lot of hand waving unless you want to. And of course, you can always hand wave as much as you want in a game. But if you want to have a specific weapon that operates in a very specific way, Absolute power is great for building that because that's what TriStack can do. You can go as much into the weeds and be as specific about how you fly. Well, here's exactly how my flight power works. Great. You can build it exactly like that. Or in a different game, you can just say, I have flight and just leave it at that. That's fine too. So I would say, you know, why would you choose absolute power? Well, you like the system. And if you don't like the underlying system, it doesn't matter how good anything else is. You're not going to be happy with it. That said, because we're building such a great world in absolute power with you know all the characters and the concepts that we're having, if you decide to play Mutants Masterminds and that's your game of choice or Heroes Unlimited or you know the new Marvel multiverse game, if, if that is your game of choice, but you can take elements from absolute power that we have and the characters, the concepts, just the same way as most people, if they're running a role-playing game, they're going to bring in their versions or their inspiration from DC or Marvel, maybe Image or, or you know, maybe even TV like The Boys or Invincible. And they're going to bring in their own influences. And Absolute Power has so much that you can build upon. So we give all the, obviously, character stats for our game. But even if you decide to not use their stats, first of all, you can kind of see how they're built. But then you can use all the background and the character elements and use them in any game you want. So we think it's an awesome game. And it's different because it's set during the modern world. It's not a fictitious world. If you want to play a fictitious world, great. You can still play Absolute Power and just say it's no longer New York-like. It is no longer real world-like. You're just running the system and characters, and you can do that too. I mean, that's the great thing about role-playing, right, is you can make it exactly what you want, regardless of, of what it's going to be. But we think if you don't like an underlying system, it's going to be problematic to really get into a game. Sure. Well, that's one of the things I can tell you from people I have on my panel on Friday nights and people that I talk to, there are people out there who really like the TriStat system. They like the simplicity of it. I've got to be honest. I have, the, you know, I've showed it off a couple times here, but I have the TriStat book. I've got Bessem. I've got Absolute Power. I still haven't played it yet. I've read through it and I'm like, 
actually this does make sense and because i don't i do have hero system i don't know if you can see it there but uh, one of the additions of hero system right there um i don't see a difference now this is where i i want you to yell at me i want you to correct me what is the difference between hero system and tristat when it comes to character creation i, I know the die roll system is is totally different right, yeah. because as he knows <laughs> Champions used to confuse the living crap out of me when I was younger. And we'd make characters, and I'm arguing this, that, and the next thing. Variable power pools and multis, this and that. I'm like, ah, I just want to spend some points to make character. But the beauty yeah. of it is the fact, like you're saying, you can make whatever you want, and I want to enjoy that, and I want to love that. But then it's like, you know what? Can I just make a character? Yeah. <laughs> At some point, can I just make the character? Yeah, and any of the the more comprehensive point buy systems are going to have a certain similarity to them and we certainly because it's, it is comprehensive it is point by that's automatically going to make character creation a little bit more complex if you want to create a character from scratch and but that's okay i mean there's there's nothing wrong with doing that you can make it easy by choosing templates and say i want to be a speedster template and you just say well here's all the power packs you get from being a speedster rather than building it from the ground up but in terms of some of the older school uh, point by system, I would say the the complexity of the math and and how the languages makes a huge difference. It's almost like um, when you look at, say, ChatGPT, when people would type in what they want to see for an image created. And you can type in a very natural sentence with real words that all make sense rather than technological words. And I kind of think that's that's similar to maybe Tristat and some of the older school point buys. And so our game is very English easy. It's, it's funny not... you say that. We had that conversation on Friday night with uh, oh, really? AD&D first edition is High Guy Gaxian. And I got to translate it to English, which is why I like second edition AD&D, because I can read the rules and understand it. <laughs> and and that's how we did with Tristat. So it's, it's flight, it's speed. Uh, it's not these these acronyms we don't use a lot of acronyms in the games we don't have a lot of complex calculations we have a few like add your body mind and soul and divide by three i mean that's your you know your your attack combat value for example and so it's not to say that there's no math whatsoever but i would say for a point by system we have a very math light approach a very written in english approach and that is probably the largest difference between tristat and whether it's Hero or GURPS or something like that. Um, it's also, you know, the, the 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 subdivisions on how far you go down with your division. So it, I, I don't want to get into any particular other game, but I know that sometimes as you can take a character that, you know, has all these flaws and they're all like super insignificant and the the, the subdivisions are so tiny that it come, makes things very complex. Where our subdivisions aren't quite as tiny unless... Of course, if you want to make it, you can do that. So they're a little bit greater in the gradation uh, okay. of the scale. Uh, I know that, say, some of the other, other the original Marvel Super game was here's a table. You look up this, and is it in yellow or red? And you, horizontal. We're, we're fans of the phase rip uh, game here. Yeah, so. the phase rip stuff. So we, we, we don't have anything like that. It's just, oh, this is your flight speed. You fly at a 1,000 kilometers an hour. You know, it's level three. Done. It's just that, it's that simple. And we try to keep that simple. But even that said, as a point by system, it's still going to be highly complex if, if you want to get really super detailed. So you may spend an hour or two creating a character and fine tuning it. But then once it's created, 
then the system kind of disappears into the background when you're actually playing. It's it's very front end heavy, but the playing is two six sided dice, maybe three, maybe four, but that's it for all. And compare it against a target number. That's it for all your rolls. It is so simple to play, uh, but the comprehension uh, or the the complexity comes from the number of options for built. Hope that kind of answers your question. No, it it, it does. And one of the things that I, I really want to put out there are two two points. Number one, those templates are fantastic. They really are helpful and they are fantastic. I don't need Heathen Dog to make a character for me because I can start on, on the template. Um, but the second part of that is when I, again, I have not built a character from ground up in Bessem. I've watched a few videos on it, yours. Uh, I've watched, you know, I, I've looked through it and I can tell you that at least from everything that you said, I believe it. I can't confirm it, but I believe it because when I read through, I was like, I get this. And, you know, when I'm talking to you, and I'm not trying to dog champions at all, it's, I think it's a product of its age, just like so many other things are, was like, okay, this is a half a point. Wait, what does that mean? What does a half a point mean? <laughs> like, like, what am I doing? In, in yours, it's broken down in fives and tens for the most part, or two, four, six, eight, you know, we can all handle that. I have found it at least conceptually much easier. And the TriStat system itself, like you said, is a very easy system to play. And I honestly am the type of person that loves to make characters. I love making characters. So the fact that it takes two hours to make a character doesn't bother me as long as when I'm done with that, I've got what I wanted. And yeah. you can do that with a point by system. Uh, anything you want to follow up with, Heathen Dog, or do I move on to the next question? Oh, just uh, when you kept bringing up champions and, and you actually said variable power pool, and I'm like, well, they kind of have that in this game too. It's called dynamic powers. Yeah, or power flux, depending on one or, is a more or, or math based, or one of them is more narrative based. Yeah. For him, for him, uh, the whole uh, variable power pool was bad be because, oh my god, I have to get a power and then I have to remake the power on the fly in the middle of a game. Number one, that doesn't make any damn sense. And number two, isn't that going to slow down gameplay a lot? Yes and yes. Yes, yes, it does. Dynamic powers, what, what, what you were speaking of earlier is that you can get very, very specific with, with uh, power uh, creation and how they work in your game. You can get very specific, but you don't have to be. No. Whereas dynamic powers, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain it for everyone watching in a second. It is supremely vague absolutely vague so much so it would make his brain explode here here's 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 dynamic powers if you have dynamic powers you have fealty over a a, a minor aspect of reality electricity fire wind air bears oh my whatever what, whatever it is you have aspect of it and the the power is different as long uh, Every time you use it, it can be different, but it has to be in that aspect. For example, electricity. You have minor control over electricity. This allows you to do several things. I can use this dynamic power to make someone's hair stand up. I can use this dynamic power to short circuit something. I could use this dynamic power to depower a battery. Sounds very Stuff mage like the that. ascension like. What's that? Mm -hmm. Yes, so yes. It's, it's, it's very much mage the ascension, uh, two, two dots in forces. It, it, it's very much that, but specifically for electricity or fire or mm -hmm. whatever, metal, you know, whatever. But uh, it gives the, the player a lot of leeway and a, a lot of, of uh, chance for imagination to create effects on the fly without breaking the game. But I don't believe... It gave enough. It, it gave some warning to GMs. Hey, this power can get out of hand. Hmm. 
watch yourself before you allow this going. I don't think that was stressed enough. As a matter of fact, if it, uh, there, I would put a point total, a maximum point total you could possibly put into this power and have it be what most what most high end, you know, 300 point character would think ridiculously low. Because if you have if you get this high enough, you're Green Lantern. And and Green Lantern wins. I mean, they're like, oh, the comics doesn't win. No, you hit him from behind. You drug him, whatever. But in a in a in a in a level playing field, he wins every time. You know, so you have to be sure to keep it down because you don't want to give the player a big enough Swiss Army knife. He will wreck your campaign with it. Yeah, and, and with something, if you look at Diamond Powers, the easiest way to say magic, right? So you can either cast spells with magic, sure. or I do magic. And what does that mean? It's like, well, I have magic powers. I mean, I could, and, and whether it's elemental control or it's it's electricity or anything like that, it's basically like magic. And yeah. so there are characters in any genre of you know, not just superheroes that have con- that basically magic type abilities. They don't have discrete effects. So maybe in you know obviously a D and D style mage will have very very discrete effects. But what's the discrete effects of Magneto? or Green Lantern. There aren't any. They just have abilities to do stuff and yeah. they, they have magic. And so we give rank- rankings from one to 10. Are you minor or are you primal and cosmic? Like, And then that's very much a narrative role-playing tool. It's something that I really like, but at the same time, when I'm playing D&D, I want to play D&D. I want to have discrete spells like, oh, what spells am I going to memorize today? Because that is what you're playing. You're playing that type. Uh, but when I'm playing superheroes and I want to be storm type character, oh, I can control elements of weather. I don't want to have to create every single thing I can do with that. I just want to say I can do weather effects. And as the narration goes, I just jump in and say, this is what I'm doing. And the GM will either say, oh, you can't do that. It's too powerful what you're suggesting. You, at your level that you bought, you could do not a bolt from heaven that's going to smite the entire city. You can do a house. Okay, well, that's because I only bought it at level one or two or three or whatever, rather than level 10. Uh, We have these powers in there because there's characters that we want to represent, like Magneto or Green Lantern, uh, the Flash, that have these levels of powers. And it would be, uh, it would make it a different game is if we created a superhero game that couldn't do these levels, because that's not what we're creating. We're creating the multi-genre universal role-playing game for superheroes not a teen titans role-playing game which is a very small box mm-hmm. you said something that once again that i absolutely love that you said and that was if you're playing D, you're expecting the D feel mm. take yeah. that people <laughs> when you're playing you know heroes unlimited or you're playing uh, uh besom or you're playing uh mage the ascension like i said before i don't want the same magic and mage the ascension that's in DD. i expect to have that type of feel of what that game presents. So I absolutely like that you said that, that you're trying to present the superhero feel. And Mm. from there, you know, we take it how we want, so to speak. Um, There is a comment here that's been, I don't know, I'm skipping one comment. We'll come back to it. This one's just in line. It says, Bessem is the most simplest point by system I've found. My sons and I have made many superheroes with it. Met you at Gen Con. So Psygos360 met you at Gen Con. So that was apropos since we were talking about the points and again as somebody who has not done nothing more than looking at the book and said hey, i could do this i could do that i was mathing things in my head and it was making sense to me so 
Yes. And one final thing for folks out in chat, just because I say I like steak doesn't mean I dislike pork. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and specifically the reason why, I mean, based on that comment, why we did Silver Age Sentinels to begin with is people kept telling us they use Besson to play superhero games. You know, we created it as the anime role-playing game, not to say that anime is a, you know, a genre, but we created it for that. I mean, people say, oh, this is a great game for superheroes. I'm like, hmm, we hear this enough. Why don't we tailor the game more for superheroes? And that's how Silver Age Sentinels came about. Mr. Max is Canadian, so he's wishing everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, let me get my comments Halcyon back. has a, has a uh, mechanics question. Uh, go ahead. I, I got to come more here, but go ahead. Uh, where is it? I thought I saw, Oh, it's not here anymore. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll just, I'll just say it then. Um, I, I thought I saw something earlier, but, uh, the, uh, there was a, a specific initiative question and I can't find it. Oh, now. Th- that one. It was this one right here. Okay. Levi Rivers. Uh, how does this system handle initiative for everyone when combat begins? Now, right. uh, the, he's probably saying this cause he doesn't, he doesn't have the book and, and he doesn't know, but he, he has enough books to where he knows champions. that, you know, some, some people roll, one time at the beginning of combat and just keep that forever barring any environmental effect some some games have you roll every round every other round of 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 uh, of actions or combat you know how does how does uh how does uh uh absolute power work with this yeah and and it's very simple it's a 2d6 roll plus your attack combat value that determines where you are in the initiative you do it at once at the beginning of combat and it's stays there now you can do it every round certainly second edition D D with you know ad and d i used to play we always did it every round you redid your initiative uh that's kind of maybe more old school things have more moved more towards setting it once and going forward but particularly with with uh superhero games but with any kind of games how do you deal with someone that if you're early and you, you know you're super fast but you don't know what someone else is going to do. How do you deal with that? So you can hold your initiative. And so we have, a, you're ready in action. So if you were fighting someone uh, who you wanted to see what they were going to do, maybe that you wanted to interrupt them in some ways, even though you're going first, you just hold your action. And then what you're doing is you're changing your initiative. And so your now initiative is now, you were at 20, now you're going to go at 10 uh, because you've held it until someone else goes at 10. So you can interact at that point. And for some people, that's how you deal with, uh, you know, dealing with some people. If you have a speedster who's super fast, how do you stop this speedster not from coming in, punching you and running away? You know, it happens all the time. And, you know, if we want to represent that in superheroes, how do we stop someone like that? Well, we have a do it. You ready your action, you hold your action so that you can uh, act whenever you need to. But in general, 2d6 plus your combat value. That's how you set your initiative. Uh, just to follow up here, my 16-year-old made unique, and I, and I say this because I want to relate to Heathen Dog and his Champions videos, but uh, my 16-year-old made a unique 100-point character in one minute, 30 seconds. I spent about another 30 minutes refining it. The thing, <laughs> again, about these point system games, and it even happened to him doing the Champions one, is that you spend the time to make the character, but you better put some second eyes on that because you're going to find that there's a better way to do it. Not that your way was wrong, but that there could be a better way to do it. And that's well, the not, trap not I always just, fall into. Not just better way, but a lot of times you may have flubbed a number. You have more or less points than you should because I, you, you sorry, didn't Mark. carry the one. Your character creation video that I just watched the other day, I forget the mm-hmm. character's name. Uh, you had, you even had a couple of pop-ups on there. Oops, I meant to say two instead of four oh, yeah. or whatever yeah. it was. So it happens to everybody. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, what my 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 general rule with uh, with point-based buy games 
are, you know, you do it. And before it hits the table, another pair of eyes looks at it because you probably missed something. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's optimization, which, which really I'm not big on optimization. It's like, oh, you have to make sure your character is the maximum good. It's like, no, no, make the character you want to make. But given a system as complex where you might have 50 pages of options, uh, yeah, you might miss something. I thought this was three points per level. It's two points per level. Uh, whenever we do uh, all of the characters that we create them for any of our games, whether it's Bessem or, or uh, Absolute Power, we have to use spreadsheets and inevitably, we enter a wrong number and say, you're going to be off on stuff. But as long as the, the general philosophy is there, that it's going to kind of represent what you want to do, you know, the, the exact numbers aren't as important as getting the, the overall build correct. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, as a, yeah, he said one hour and 30 minutes. You said one minute and 30 seconds. Did I say minutes? Uh, sorry. Yeah, you said minutes and seconds. It was actually an hour 30 to build a hundred point it's character. Too much, too much and then another man. 30 minutes to refine it. it so two hours to 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 build a character that is uh that is on the longer side of games these days that is on yeah. the longer side my but my favorite that, game of everything uh that i've ever played amber diceless is my favorite game. Oh, like i can oh, literally create cool. i can create a character in 10 seconds easily and it's a point by system, but it is like so simple to do. So yeah, you could build things super quickly if you know the system. And if you don't, it, you know, you can spend a while going into all the minutia of stuff. If Shadow and Sun's watching, he's your new best friend right now because he loves <laughs> Amber. I don't like the gambling. I don't like, but I get, I do get why people like that. And in fact, yeah. uh, we have to talk about your diceless so when we get back to your uh, Kickstarter or back your crowdfunding. <laughs> Whatever we're calling crowdfunding it. on backer kit <laughs> on backer kit there we go uh i'm gonna hold on to that one because i'm gonna bring this up right now well best mechanics are not to my taste mark's attitude and some of the universal material will get my money well look at that i put the Thank link you. out there it's in the description below same thing heathen dog how much anime and superheroes do i like well <laughs> well i mean there's the occasional thing that, that that'll cross my path they'll be like okay that that wasn't bad I, i'm not into anime or superheroes yet and, and I have some of the boxes for like the miniatures and so forth off screen. So I, I have my, my own Bessem stuff, but I do like the TriStat system. And I do like the idea that whether Bessem or Absolute Power, and this will lead into another question that I have, and you've pretty much answered it, but I'm, I'm going to kind of see if I can drag something out of you a little more on this one, is if I own Bessem, other than the fact that I'd get the world with it, do I need to own Absolute Power? course the answer is yes you're a businessman yeah. but uh, you know <laughs> love people to buy it but the reality is is no i mean you you held up earlier tristack core uh this is a 15 dollar book that is the system is exactly what's in system uh book one for absolute power which is a 60 dollar book uh, of course the difference is going to be in the format hardcover softcover uh you know color art tiny presentation yeah <laughs> tiny nice pocket edition and we we did this the, the tristack core is a great uh table copy Right. So you have your main book. And then if you're playing Bessem or Absolute Power, here's TriStack Core as your second table copy. So if you have Bessem, people say, well, why do I need to buy Absolute Power's system book? Not, not the setting. That's different. Why do I need the system book? And I can't say you need it. One of the things we do that separates out Absolute Power from, from Bessem a little bit is going from expansion from one to six attribute levels to one to 10. Now, that's not to say that you can't figure out what seven is. If you know, if you see the progression of multiple by 10 every time and you get to six and it's 100,000, 
What's seven? Probably a million. And it's not difficult to, to do that. We present it to be comprehensive and complete, but no, you, you don't need it. The advantage of the core book for absolute power versus the Besom is because we ha already had a setting built in where our Besom setting, because it's a universal multi-genre, it was not setting heavy. Absolute power is. We provide examples throughout the system book that is the settings or the examples or the context of the second book, which is the setting. So when we talk about taunt, we can refer to these characters that have taunt and here's what level they have it and here's why they're using it. So it's that example through context is what's important about system one, uh, system book, uh, which is book one for absolute power. But it's it's not necessary. If you want to, to save money, that I would say if you have Bessem, Great, buy the second book, which is the setting material. That's more important than rebuying the system, even if we think it's a great product. Every time you say taunt, I kind of flinch because uh, you know, back in the Earthon days, taunt we taunt drove us crazy. And it's funny because it sounds like your your version of taunt does the exact same thing that it did in Earthon, which is like, oh, by the way, remember how you were rolling all these dice? Yeah, no. <laughs> you're you're angry, you're being distracted, you're like, now you're only rolling these. All right. Yeah. Um, this one up here. Uh, when can I get a rule that will reduce damage as distance increases, like explosion radiuses or long distance range shots? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's easy to you know create lots of, of rules specific to you, your campaign. We have disadvantages at a distance. For example, a gun. If you're firing a gun uh, at someone who's 100 meters away, it's going to be easier than if you're firing them if they're a kilometer away. But in the end, we don't modify the strength of a bullet impact, whether it's 100 meters or a kilometer. I mean, is there a real world? Probably. I would guess it's going to have, you know, just based on one resistance, it's not going to move as quickly. But this is an area we don't really get into. But certainly working with environmental um, limiters, so that the way we have games where you can, or attributes, we can limit them. If you took an environmental limiter and say, well, here's this weapon and it functions at level 10 and if I had an environmental limiter that only functions at, at level eight, if it is beyond a hundred meters or whatever distance you want to have, this is something you can create, but we don't give you the exact specifics because that's specific to your world. Mm -hmm. Our world, we, we keep things as simple as we can. We give you all the tools to make things as complex as you want, but our base simplicity is, um, you know, this is the, the very basic simple effect it does. And we do that because we think uh, that, that we need to present the baseline that everyone would use. And then people can go even deeper if they want to on their own. But we can't anticipate that, you know, how much a grenade is going to do based on distance and what kind of grenade. Well, there are, in a superhero game, maybe there's a thousand different grenades and they might all have different ranges on how they impact. Some of them might be donuts where in the initial 10 meters, there's nothing. And then the next 10 all meters, middle, it does yeah. all the damage. I mean, we, we can't anticipate everything like that. And so we'll build things through examples and say, here's some gear, here's some gadgets. So you can kind of see what we're doing and you can use that for inspiration with your own designs. I love the idea once again, that's rulings over rules. And as an old school player, that's something I, I really appreciate. Cause let's be fair. There's a lot of rules when it comes to creation of a character and creation of items, creation of gear. So a lot of that is there. And then within that framework, 
that's when you house rule it. And and I'm wondering, and I'm not trying to get into my, in my day kind of thing necessarily, but one of the things I've noticed, especially with like Pathfinder and D&D 3 players specifically, a lot of them have to look up the rule. Like, where is that rule? I need to know what it is. It's like, no, man, just move on. Just like, this yeah. is what it is. You know, it makes sense that you threw a grenade. It's not the most powerful grenade out there. I'm going to say it does half damage. Now let's just move on. Make that ruling based on the framework that the game provides. Should, nothing wrong with that. No player should be arguing about things like that as long as everybody's having fun. If they're not having fun over something as pedantic as that. <laughs> yeah, it was certainly when I, you know, breeze through Reddit and I, you know, I read some of the the, the threads. I have hundreds of comments about a D&D thing. And I'm thinking, I just, I don't play D&D like, some of these people do. Uh, it's just not how I've done it. I mean, yeah, I, back in second edition, I used to run with weapon speeds. And so mm -hmm. when you determine initiative, how, what is your speed of your weapon? I mean, I got into some heavy level details, but in the end, role-playing has always trumped rules. And, you know, that's why I put it in the manifesto uh, about the rules will always take second fiddle to what's just good for a play. So we give you as much framework as we can, but we're not going to deal with every single example. We There's a reason we have something called unique attribute and unique defect. And these are the deal with all the things that we hadn't thought up that you want to create for your own. We have a right in unique defect. Uh, there you go. You can do with it on your own. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think the, the narration of gameplay is so much more important to me than, than the rule story overrules for me every time. Yeah, there's one line in the manifesto I don't agree with, but uh, again, it's just philosophical, which is, uh, I say, I believe, it, I think, I forget because I don't have the manifesto. Oh, wait, I do have the manifesto up. And then we'll go back to your thing. And this isn't to mess with Mark. It's just a, a kind of funny anecdote from what he's saying right now. Uh, let me share the screen. Boom. Just do it easy way. Share. Um, this one right here. Should dice rolls conflict with a great story development, the story always wins. And uh, that one makes me shudder because I'm, I'm, I'm like, no, the dice create the story. <laughs> it's like, no. But this also goes to show, oh, hold on. Follow but the then rules it does, or don't. It doesn't conflict. If you think the dice create the story, then it's, there's no conflict. Right. And therefore that line does not apply. I and know, that, that also doesn't mean you always win. Some of you are like, oh, you know, uh, you know I, I hate losing. I'm like, I've had some of the best character development when things don't go my way than when things do go my way. I think that having crappy dice rolls has nothing to do with, you know, ruining the story. I think you can make the story better. Personally. And they enhance it. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that. Any, anything to add to this? Uh, so I'm going to go back and we're going to start looking at some of the products on the backer kick. Backer kick. Wow. <laughs> backer kit. Backer Whatever kit. I'm saying. The backer kit crowdfunding. There you go. Okay. You um, hmm. No, 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 not really. Not right now. All right. So uh, we got, we talked about the two books already. Then there were, here we go. The heroes and villains deck. What's that all about? Yeah. So this is something that we had not done previously for absolute power. But we thought it was an interesting thing. And that is, uh, what we've done is we've taken the highlights of all the characters we present in the core rules and season one and season two, and we've made oversized four by six cards of them where they will have a character image on one side and then the highlights of the character on the back. Now, unlike what we did with creature cards, uh, think of like a monster manual on a deck of uh, oversized deck of cards. We did that for anime 5e, but because the stat blocks are a lot smaller. We could fit the entire stat blocks in there. When we have some characters are so big and complex in terms of their mechanical builds, uh, it didn't really play into it. And, and is it really important that 
some of a character has $10 million. Well, it is from a, a mechanic point of view. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. Some of them can be, can be really long. And so what we've done is we've highlighted uh, the important parts. If you scroll a little bit, you can actually see some of the examples of the cards. So we, they're small, but what we've done is we've, you know, said, okay, here are your three stats. It is a tri-stat system. Everyone has the three stats and your combat value. And then here's a couple of key attributes you have, a couple of key defects. And by putting those down, when you think of Sentinel, you're going to think of, oh, armor, super strength, atomic weapons, like boom, boom, boom. Here's the things that it does. Here's how quickly he moves. Here's how much he can lift. And we've hit some of these key uh, numbers that would be important for those characters. These are designed to be tools for the table where if you're playing and you want to have General Winter come out, you can throw down the General Winter card or uh, as a GM, you maybe uh, clip it onto your game screen. And so the GM will see the highlights of the character and then the the players get to see the image. This hero and villain deck is all the characters that we've statted out, their, their highlights, their best of real, uh, to put them as, as an, a gameplay accessory. Is it necessary? No, of course not. They're in the book. You could just flip to the book and use it that way. Yeah. But it's a wonderful clip version. Yeah, it, it is. And it's a great way to have that that art as well. Like the, the art is gorgeous in the rule book, but unless I want to be flipping up the rule book every time to show someone the character, this way I can slap it down the table um, and everyone can take a look at it that way. And so that's what this deck is. It's something like a monster manual in a deck of cards. Uh, and these we cover the heroes and the villains as well as neutrals. Although calling it the heroes and neutrals and villains deck was a little too long. So here's <laughs> kind of uh, covers the basics uh and so it's 136 different villains in a box set this is the one we've done for um anime 5e this is our creature card collection and all of these are you know four by six cards of your different monsters and in information on the back I mean, so you said four by six earlier but i didn't even really realize that those are actually bigger like when you put oh, your hand on that it's like okay yeah, that's actually a fairly decent sized card yeah, they're not playing card size. They are designed to be, you know, fairly large. So you hold them up, cool. you can actually see. And also, you know, a fair amount of text. So you need to have the space on the back. So not not a necessary thing, but we thought it was a really nice accessory, a gameplay accessory, which we added in there because it includes the characters from the core rules as well as all season one and season two characters that we stat out. It goes along really well in this back campaign. Yeah, I tend to not like gimmicks, but when something is useful at the table, like Define like certifiably, if you want to call it that, useful. Where it's like, no, this is actually enhancing the gameplay by putting it out there. Whether it is a quick, quick I can't talk, a quick reference, or it is, uh, you know, something that uh, the players, like you said, with the art, can. Okay, this is what you're seeing right now. I think that's a benefit to gameplay. Uh, and then we had uh, there's one other thing, wasn't there? Yeah, that that was three of the four, and then the fourth one is the anthology. All right, what is that about? So when we did back. Silver Age Sentinels, we uh, worked with a bunch of different writers to do two different anthologies. And these are short story anthologies, uh, 14 stories set in the Silver Age Sentinels universe. And so we published them. One was Path of the Just, one was Path of the Bold, and we won Origins Award for one of them. So, you know, we were really happy with, with how it came out as, you know, superhero games really call for comics, but comics are they're periodicals, they're, they're, they have a lot of art requirements, so super expensive to do. And it also, you know, is a certain skill set that is much narrower than, than fiction writing. And so we did an open call for an anthology for absolute power of 
superhero ideas. You don't have to be our characters that you're writing that we present and you have to use them in your story. It's just a superhero anthology. So even if you know nothing about Absolute Power or Silver Age Sentinels, any just fiction reader can pick it up and enjoy a book uh, of short stories on superhero characters. So we followed up, although it's, it's not Silver Age Sentinels that Absolute Power, but calling it the Path of Absolute Power um, kind of fits in thematically with what the first two were back uh, 20 years ago. And we have 14 pretty nifty stories from a range of writers, uh, from people that are going to be well-recognized in the gaming industry that have hundreds or dozens of novels to people who are first-timers. Maybe they've never been published before. We thought their stories were pretty nifty. And so we have characters that are uh, touching upon characters from the books, as well as original characters of their own design. And so this is a, a short story collection. Uh, again, it's not necessary, but yeah, it's it's really neat. They're they're really entertaining, and it's Adds a great to way setting. to just read more of what's happening in there. And so that's the fourth thing we added on. It's it's was something for the fans more <laughs> than anything else because we just thought, oh, this would be a really nice thing to do as a follow up to what we did twenty years ago. In terms of uh, size and presentation, physical mm -hmm. presentation, how would you compare this to Carian Gate? Yeah, so Akarian Gate is that's much more of a traditional uh, premium novel format. So that one is hardcover with a dust jacket, um, larger, closer to three hundred uh, plus pages, and it's part of a trilogy, Akarian Gate. So the next one's going to be out sometimes next year, Akarian Quest. Uh, so this one is we're following the format that we did back with Path of the Just and Path of the Bold. So this is six by nine, but it's digest size and it's soft cover. Okay. Uh, and so it's smaller. It's only 208 pages. It's 14 stories, uh, less expensive as well. So uh, I would say this is uh, not really comparable in terms of the product, but anyone is familiar with anthologies. This is a soft cover anthology, and that probably sums okay. it up pretty well. All right. And then let's scroll down. Uh, we got the pledges. And you can see here, let me zoom back in. I showed these earlier, but... Uh... You're not actually presenting it. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I took it off. Uh, put that back up. Thank you. And boom. It's F11 that so we can get full screen. There we go. So for $20, you get uh, the Path of Absolute Power, which is, the, that's just the anthology, right? That's right. And both Print. printed and the three different digital versions, where it's EPUB, Mobi, and PDF. Okay. And then for $44, you get Season 1 and Season 2 in the digital format. Now, I I am not calling you out. This is something I've noticed recently. So this is not Mar a Mark issue, but I'm curious since he's a publisher. I remember when PDFs like just a year ago cost like eight bucks. <laughs> now PDFs are like my audiobooks and PDFs in the last year are killing me. <laughs> like it's in, in the gaming industry, it's been very common for pretty well 20 years now. Um, PDFs are, are of new products are typically 50% of the print price. So with these, these are $45 print books. So we just cut the price in half. They're 22 each. Uh, when we have absolute power being a $60 core book, $30 for the PDF. People can do things lower, of course. It's not as if they don't exist, but most mainstream publishers, you price your PDF at 50% of your hardcover price or your, your print price. It might just be because more and more things I have to get in PDF. So I'm uh, like, and, and again, you made the, the comment, uh, 
new products and of course i buy a lot of older stuff so maybe that's why but like i've been buying some free league stuff and i'm like are you kidding me i'm paying 29 dollars for a pdf i used to pay like five for a pdf stop it oh and then the audiobooks are getting me as well but i know i wanted to hear from somebody who actually Mm -hmm. does this as to why that is because i hadn't noticed that until about the last year but that makes sense the only the main time we will break that is something that where the physical product is substantially different and so, for example, when you have a game screen that has an adventure in it, when we do the PDF of that, well, we do give you the PDF of the game screen, but it doesn't have the same physical utility. So we don't price it at 50%. We price it at less than that. Okay. So if it's a tw- if it's $20 game screen plus adventure, it's an $8 adventure plus digital game screen. Uh, but other than that, most, most companies do 50%. And then, of course, it's also very common during crowdfunding campaigns that if you pledge for the physical, you get the free PDF of that product as well. And that's one of the, the only time that we bundle our PDFs with our print products, and that's during our crowdfunding campaigns. Okay. And then for $1 more, Absolute Power Season 1, Urban Warfare, Print and Digital Edition. Now, I had somebody, it wasn't about this product. Oh, my God, I hate it when I zoom in. It just jumps. Uh, complained that, oh, my God, these uh, these Kickstarters or these backer kits or Indiegogos, whatever, just gouging people money. If you knew what paper prices were now, <laughs> you know what? This stuff is, this is real cost, folks. Uh, I've actually been looking into some of this as well, and these things aren't cheap. This is actually a very good value for a pretty thick book. Now, I don't have that book. And obviously, this one's more of a special edition, but still, we're talking very well done product. $45, that's pretty standard now. I'm seeing 60 bucks for books that are half this size. So, uh, that, that's and in the a- end, I mean, for a company of our size, our print runs are significantly long, uh, smaller as well. So, mm-hmm. you could have your, if you look at your, your three core D&D books currently, you know, they're $50 and you're up to, you know, almost 300 pages on some of those. Oh, that's because they're printed in millions of quantities. If you're only printing a thousand of that uh, for a much smaller market, obviously the per unit price is going to be significantly higher. And so, yeah, we, we charge enough that we can pay our writers or pay our artists and pay them well, uh, and hopefully make a little bit of profit in the end so we can keep doing more stuff too. It's so funny. Cause it almost seems like, even though it doesn't sound like exactly what Kevin and Sean were saying for, from Palladium books. It's like, we need to pay our people folks. Like, and you're absolutely right. I mean, there's a lot, there are more people behind the scenes here than just Mark. Oh Yeah. I mean, I can't. No, no. So, Every, everyone yeah. knows it's, it's just Mark and a, a bunch of child labor. Everyone knows. <laughs> everyone knows. So you can get season one or season two print and a digital uh, for $45. And then we move down to $70 and you can get season one urban warfare, season two dark empire, the heroes and villain deck and path of absolute power in the digital format. Now, how useful is a deck in digital format? And that's interesting because we didn't, when we did the uh, creature cards for Anime 5e, we didn't even offer that as a PDF option. We just didn't think it would be useful. But there's nothing wrong with including it as a PDF. So we decided, well, you know, some people might want if they, especially if they had a tablet, for example. Mm -hmm. And so they're loading up their creature card on their iPad and, you know, they have nice big image of the characters. And so we thought, well... I, I can't imagine anyone buying the product as it is just as a PDF, but we already have the files. There's no reason not to give it to someone uh, if they purchase the physical product. And so that's what we've done, but it is uh, an odd uh, to have as a, as a physical product. We have to sign this, uh, the digital product. Same thing with the little cardboard minis that we have. Um, yeah. If you're buying cardboard minis from us, we'll throw in the digital files, but probably not that useful, but who knows? Maybe some might have a use for it. So why not as a little bonus? Sounds good. 
For $90, you get Season 1 Urban Warfare, Season 2 Dark Empire, print and digital. And I've already talked about those, so let's scroll down. One, two, I think this is what I backed. Uh, yeah, because the next one comes with everything, right? Nope, this is yeah. what I backed. So, Absolute Power, Season 1, Season 2, here's some villains deck. No anthology. For $120, print and digital. And then $130, there we go, this is one I backed, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, that, and that's the bargain because it's only ten dollars more, and we put the anthology in. We knew that not everyone wants to buy fiction. I mean, there's some people are voracious readers, some people don't care. And so, if we only offered all four of them, that would have aggravated some people. So, we do have a one twenty option versus a one thirty option. But in the end, uh, more people are getting the one thirty because for ten bucks to get a printed anthology of some awesome superhero stories, why not? <laughs> Okay, the, the uh, question just just popped up, and Max put yeah. it on the screen for a American second. American dollars is this? Yeah, USD, CAD, yeah. rubles, yeah. Whenever, ducats. Whenever we run our crowdfunding campaigns, we always do it in USD because most of our backers are American. Um, it's actually one of the reasons we switched over to Backerkit is you know at least for this one was it makes it really easy on the back end for us as a Canadian company to run an American dollar crowdfunder on Backerkit can't do that on Kickstarter. We actually have to partner up with an American associate to have the back end of us secured because we can't have one as a Canadian company. They refuse to let you do US dollar crowdfunding. Uh, wow. So yeah, it's why? I don't know. It's just the rules. Uh, so with Backkit, it's great. It's all partnered up through Stripe. And you know, as a Canadian company, we have a US Stripe account. So easy peasy to, to get it set up. Uh, so yeah, all these are American dollars. Because okay. if we had it in Canadian, this would say 200 people would be losing their mind, even if <laughs> in the end it is the exact same amount. But we know yep. most of the Americans are used to seeing things in American dollars and we don't want to scare people away if it was more expensive. Now, if the Canadian dollars was more powerful, maybe we want to do a Canadian dollar if we could say that this is a $50 package uh, and then trick people uh, with it's still 130 <laughs> American. But right now, it's no. It is it's, bad it's unless it benefits me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nope. Well, and then we have the big one. Let's say you don't have absolute power at all in any way, shape, or form, and you want everything at one time. Bam! $250. And look, I don't have the the the, the cover on here because I was reading it. But here you go. This is <laughs> here you go. This is uh the books are like they still plushy. Oh, let me ask you actually, is it this version of it or is it yeah, the normal so that is, version? Okay. At the 250 one, it's specifically the slipcase edition. So it is the premium version. The, that slipcase edition uh, has two books in it. Normally, the two books individually, regular editions are 120. Uh, it's 150 when it's in a slipcase and has all the fancy bells and whistles. For this particular one, we know that people really enjoy the, the slipcase two volume set. And so we made this as part of the 250. I just hate opening the, the, the books. final pledge. <laughs> the, the final pledge includes the regular editions, and that's to hit certain price points uh, on that. But this one here gives you the best presentation of absolute power and then the final one is for people who want everything and they're they're the newcomers they don't have anything for it and for uh the next pledge we throw everything in and let's scroll down to look at that bam 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 one of the things i've learned like with uh mutant year zero for example i kickstarted a few of those and i actually enjoy having the real covers over the special mm -hmm. edition covers a lot of times because they fit in better they look like the game i mean that alien cover looks great you know all embossed and so but 
these books, I like these books. Uh, and I have, you know, some of the best and ones that are the normal books and they're very well made. They're, they're not the folly apart type book, folly apart. The books that fall apart, like, uh, uh, like my mutant year zero books did. These are actually really or good quality Star Trek adventures or Star Trek adventures book you know, for you. Yep. Uh, I didn't open mine enough, but, uh, so it's always good stuff. I have, I don't know if you can see them behind me, but I have the best, some dice rollers. So this is the absolute power one. I was really surprised. This is some thick cardboard. It's like, Oh, it's cardboard. And then I put it together. It's like, Oh, this is yeah, dang near metal. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's some good stuff and absolute power dice. I don't think I have those. I could be wrong. I have the best some dice. But $300, boom, get everything. You are ready yeah, to play, ready to go. Bam, bam, bam. Look at all that stuff. I can't even fit it on the screen. Oh, I guess I can fit it on the screen. Barely. So all the red is what has already been published. And then the blue ones are the new products. So the four new right. ones at the end. But you get the core books, your game screen, your folio, minis, dice, and the dice tower. Okay, so, now we have a question in chat. Did you, are you going to grab it? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> It's more of a joke. So will this game corrupt me absolutely, or did someone already make that joke already? Now, let's ignore the joke because it's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Max, stop it. But you named the the system absolute power. Now, is that foreshadowing to plot points that are going to go on in the season? Is absolute power going to corrupt, say, heroes? in in such a fashion that the worlds are going to become in danger or, or that that's just off the top right. of my head but is it is it foreshadowing for the developing plot or is it just a cool sounding name yeah no it wasn't it wasn't foreshadowing for the plot what it is is it represents the tonal shift of the world of our world from silver age sentinels back in 2000 mm -hmm. to 2020 uh that absolute power where uh, and honestly, a lot of things in the world changed at 9-11. Now, that was a, a massive shift in so much. So the absolute power is not a celebration of the absolute power. We know that that quote, you know, absolute power corrupts and absolute power, no, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. We know we know that quote is very famous. We chose that title very specifically because it's so easy for the superheroes to say, just give me a little bit more power and I can keep you safe. Just give me that little bit more power and I can do just so pass much the more. Patriot Act. <laughs> it's it's that it's the resistance of the lure of absolute power is what this game is about for heroes, obviously for villains. Mm. Villains, villains have it's a not different about, view. It's yeah. not about resisting it, but for the heroes, it is about uh, in our world, our, our current real world. Um, you know, we could as if you think if we suddenly superheroes just suddenly appeared. Wouldn't it be easier for them to do their job if they just had, if we just gave them a little bit more power, uh, you know, a little bit more freedom that we take away from us? And I'm not this big rah, 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 pro freedom. This, this isn't about this, but this is about le legitimately superheroes. It's difficult when you're sitting, when you're a paragon, when you're almost a god compared to everyone else, it's very difficult to bring that humbling sensation to you. And it's that reminder that although we could have absolute power, we have to resist that lure to it. We talk a little bit about this in the core rules. It's not something we we go off directly on. We just address it. That's why we changed the name. If we called the Silver Sentinel Second Edition, it, we couldn't have created the game we wanted to create, which is uh, we think represents the the tonal feel of what's our real world now in 2020. Well, if you look at humans, and I see this in the superhero movies and the comics that I heard these guys talking about, so obviously you guys can speak more to this than I can, but humans get distrustful. If you've got this much power, mm -hmm. we get distrustful, and sometimes we're a thankless lot. 
And you're doing this. I mean, Superman went through that in the old Superman movies. Like, you know, nobody's thanking him. We're just blaming him for everything that went wrong in the world. Uh, why didn't you save this? Why did you save that person, not this person? Why did you do this other thing? Why weren't you everywhere? But then again, now that you're everywhere, you're making us look bad. Yeah. Like, like and, and dealing with that, one of the things that I thought was a really awesome premise about this game is that it turns the superheroes into people. Yeah, they got superpowers. Heathen Dog did that to me in his Mage the Ascension game. He's like, what would you do if you had this power? Well, mm. it was great. I was like, I was like the moral conscience until right at the end. And I remember them all sitting there looking at me going, oh, look what Hubris just did. I'm like, oh, they were right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it fell right hook, line and sinker into it. But it shows that they have human mortal foibles, even with all the superpower. I, I like it. I like that premise. Thank you. Uh, so Jade, who's actually in chat right now, but he sent me a question a while ago. This can be a little off topic ish, but it's still related to you. And he says, uh, I'm going to read the whole thing here. He says, uh, what advice do you have for any home brewing game master out there who wants to adapt powers, abilities, or themes from one of their favorite shows for use in Bessem or absolute power, since it's similar, where do you start in the process of adaptation? And can you offer some insights into your methods and processes that lead you to codify mechanics and rules of Bessem? When much of the shonen anime, I don't know what that means, but I'm sure you guys do, and manga uh, seem to rarely follow any hard rules or mechanics. And I can break that down if you need me to. Yeah, no, I, I I totally get that. Okay. Uh, you know, in the end, whenever you're dealing with with stuff, let, let's talk about our games because you know it's a point buy system, and that you're always trying to balance the points. And that's not to say every point is going to be equal in every situation. So uh, if you have the flight ability and you're in a cave, well, it doesn't matter how many points you put on the flight. Maybe that wasn't very useful in that specific situation. But in a point by that, the philosophy of any point by game, Tristat, Champions, whatever it is, is equal utility is equivalent to equal points in the broadest sense that you can have. Such individual situations may change that. And so if you're looking at a character in an existing game, uh, or sorry, an existing TV show or a movie or a novel or whatever, and you're thinking, how do I adapt that power into Bessem? First of all, we might have something in TriStat, whether it's absolute power of Bessem, we might have something that already comes close to that, uh, maybe with a, a few minor tweaks. So, well, it's the teleport ability, but I add on this limiter and this enhancement to modify teleportation, and suddenly it's very similar to what this character can do in this show. But even if there's nothing in our game that covers it, because while it is a very comprehensive system, it, it can't come up with every single instance, which I mentioned, which is why we have unique attributes. Uh, but if you wanted to create your own, then it's coming up with the relative point value compared to other things we have in the game based on the utility. And it's also not just a strict system. It does come into philosophy of, of genre as well. Uh, so a great thing to look at if you say, well, uh, you know, why uh, is fighting really, really expensive if we're playing a slice of life game where no one fights? It's like, well, yeah, it kind of doesn't make any sense. Uh, if you're having a, a, an attribute that's powered a certain way and priced a certain way, if it's never going to come up. When we create absolute power, that is our general broad-based superhero game. And we've priced everything according to a general broad-based superhero setting. If you wanted to keep within that setting, then great. All the point values that we use, you can then use that as a benchmark whenever you're pricing out what your power should be. So if it's like, well, it's roughly the same utility as flight, 
even though the power might have nothing to do with flight, but yeah, it's about as useful as someone who can fly is great. Maybe it should be three points per level then because that's the cost of flight. But if you're using a something that's not superhero based and it's going to be very specific to a type of campaign, maybe you're playing a game where you're, everyone's a little uh, uh, anthropomorphic uh, you know, characters from you know mice and gerbils and all that kind of stuff. Well, suddenly maybe that point based of what super strength is maybe at eight points per level. Maybe that doesn't make any sense when it, it doesn't play into that game. And so you have to make adjustments in any point based game. What is the utility in what you're trying to create? which is always the difficult of what we, you know, when we put try for that forward as the multi-genre universal system, it is intended to be that kind of the, the one ring that rules them all. It is the system that rules it all. But obviously we can't deal with every possible cost variation according to your specific setting. So we do the best we can on the broadest base for what most people are going to role play in. But if you have something very specific, then you have to customize the cost based on what you think makes sense. I think he did a fantastic job, at least for me, in Bessem, because I can't remember if Heathen Dog reviewed it or if he was just talking about it one time, but I thought the, the most nonsensical thing I ever heard was a slime rancher anime. And I'm like, talk, or I'm a slime or whatever. And there it was in the Bessem book. I'm like, you can literally do everything in this dumb game. <laughs> like, like this is what what's going on here? And but but no, but you take those frameworks and you can just pull this out, pull that out. And you can end up making what you want. And like you were talking about, you have those different settings already. And if something in one setting doesn't make sense, change the points. That's why the points are there. It's simple math. We all went through grade school math. So hopefully we can figure it out. If you want if you want your game to be more uh, less magic, you want magic to actually be a little bit more impotent, you can just make it cost more points. Cost more. Yeah. Make it cost more so not everyone has a, a, that much. Because and they then can't afford it. the other aspect of it is, is not every character is the same. If you were to really just stat out every one of the DC uh, comic book characters. Green Lantern, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, Flash, whatever else is there, I don't know. Uh, they wouldn't all have the same amount of points. No, no, definitely not. And some things in comic book logic or even movie logic is very difficult to, to turn into a, a game system. If you were to stat out the Flash, who could someone can move the speed of light or faster, and how many actions they can have, you put into any point big game and they break it. I mean, if yeah. you say, oh, I can do a million things a second. Well, you can't price that out. So there's yeah. there's certain things. And if you look in a, in, in a movie or a comic, they can have the story be exactly what you want to be. So you can have a flash comic of 32 pages where everything happens in a half of a second. What that doesn't work very often in role playing games. So you kind of fudge a little bit. If you want to play the Flash, he's probably not doing a thousand things every second. Um, so we price things accordingly. But in the end, um, you know, we tried to come up with the broadest base of what the characters in the common comic book worlds and movies are going to do. And that's how we we set it up. But, you know, what narrative logic is not the same as game logic, they, they aren't going to be equivalent. But you can come in with an approximation. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said pricing because what I do when I'm, because we, we started talking about adapting an IP to, to your game. How would you do that? How, how do you compare stuff like that? What I've always done is uh, I find the Rosetta Stone power. And what I mean by that is a, a power in the comic, anime, movie, whatever, TV show, what it does and find one power in that game system that is equivalent. 
doesn't mm, have to be I a gotcha. big thing. can be a little thing, but that's that's the starting point to convert everything else. For example, Superman's eye beams, his heat vision. Now, if you want the maximum power level possible, you would go to the death of Superman when he was fighting Doomsday. He let loose. So you know exactly, and it, it told you exactly the heat amount. It was uh, being less than five feet away from a blast furnace. In my game, it actually has fire. Oh, blast furnace, this much damage. Now I know. That's my first equivalent. And from there, I can convert everything else. So I try to find that one thing, that, that, that one piece of information that unlocks all the other answers. That, that's how I do it. What, what, I, what I love from both what, what Heathen Dog just said and from the tone of the question in chat, like from Jade and a couple others have posted something similar, is that people want to make their own stuff. And that framework is there. And, and I look because so many people I've run across recently, just give it to me. Like, it should just be here. I should be able to reference it. Well, guess what? You actually can reference it. You can reference the characters, the world. Mm -hmm. it's, it's there. But I like the imagination or... Gotta be careful with that word, but I but I, I like it when when players come up with their own settings and find ways to tweak it. As long as the game master is upfront about, hey, this setting overemphasizes this, underutilizes that, but that's the intent of the setting, and you know, going forward, boom, you make a character for that, you're ready to go, and and that experience is different than an experience playing with somebody else. So it's dang near infinite. You know, you're talking about the Flash a moment ago, and I was, was joking about champions again because people always uh, complain about the 12 phase initiative system you know, that it has. And like, even I'm like, wait a minute, when do I go? You go on three and seven or whatever it was. I'm like, what? Okay. Like, I don't know how this makes sense, but, but it's a game to be fair. It's a yeah. game and there are limitations to game. And with Bessem, Bessem just makes, or an absolute power just makes that stuff to me. Or Tristat itself makes it so much easier to just figure out, jump into the game and play, but still meaningful. Right. And there is a reason with the characters, you know, people could look at Sentinel and say, oh, that's just like Superman and Captain America put together. Or, oh, this character is just like Batman mixed with Daredevil. Uh, there's a reason we actually did that on purpose. Uh, hitting these archetypes is partially uh, is for familiarity with the character. So people could instantly have a connection with them, understanding if they are comic book readers. But also we know that people are going to bring, if you're playing a superhero game, you probably know something about comics. Maybe it's only from the movies. Maybe you don't know read comics. Maybe you only seen the movies, but instantly you're going to bring certain conceptions. And when you're building a character, if you can see, it's like, oh, I love Superman. Oh, here's a Superman-like character and how he's built. Now I understand a little bit more about the game because this is how they built theirs. So now I can have an easier time creating my character. That's why we hit these major archetypes and why we we blended them together. We don't have a straight Superman. It is the Superman Captain America. It is, as I said, the Batman Daredevil. That's Caliburn. There's a reason we, we blended that together is to show... Uh, people through example and through context, how they can create their own characters. So powerful to do that. We we don't have that with Bessem. It's a different game, Bessem, in terms of the, the structure of it. And one of the things that I love about Absolute Power, even though I created the Bessem system as my first publication, what I loved about Absolute Power is the setting and the characters through there. And we create through Bessem Multiverse expansion, we have a setting and we have characters from there, but it's that built-in core setting for absolute power that is the real strength of it in my opinion because it gives players so much more uh, so many more tools by looking at what the characters can do would you say in a general sense and i'm not trying to nitpick here but besom would be wider where absolute power is a little deeper 
when it comes to oh, yeah, absolutely. specific characters? Okay. I mean, that's not to say you can't run absolute power on parallel universes and do all that stuff. Certainly that exists there, but there is, Bessem was set up with a multiverse where there are, there's the prime world, uh, uh, six different prime worlds. One is a science fiction-like world. One is a fantasy-like world. You have Earth and there's political interconnections between these and you can hop between the different dimensions. Mm -hmm. I mean, so it is very much set up as a multi-genre game. It has a built-in setting, but it's not kind of an essential setting. It's more of an optional, the best of anime multiverse setting where absolute power is a modern day superhero game. Yes, you can pop up to any dimension you want and do whatever you want with it. And it still can be a superhero game, but it is a much more focused, as you said, deeper uh, where Bessem is very shallow, but uh, in its in its shallowness of the depth, that it allows you to do so much more uh, because it is in, designed to be a multi-universal game. Okay. Well, Kokushuko uh, says uh, I dig the multiverse stuff. So there we go. And this probably should have been put up a little bit ago, but <laughs> I don't like interrupting people. Jade says uh, thanks to my dive into next card RPG. I love having cards of monsters in rooms. So it's obviously a uh, Good reason to have those anything else before we move on to uh i guess our next topic if you want to call it that anything else that we want to talk about with this backer kick uh obviously it's made its goals you've got one more at least noted here uh, to yeah. unlock which is the diceless version uh anything yeah. else you want to let people know about it yeah we always uh, drip out uh you know new stretch goals as it goes and it has been one of our our smaller campaigns we knew that would be the case absolute power is one of our smaller game lines it's not anime 5e which was you know very successful for us this has always been a niche product and we knew that going into it so we've we've uh, set the stretch goals up appropriately we think the uh the product uh, is awesome we think it's useful for any level of gamer and we'd love to have people support if it's not your thing we have lots of other products out there and if you haven't uh, been into any absolute power whatsoever the great time to back any of our campaigns and specifically absolute power right now is you get the digital for free whenever you get the, the physical product and you can get all the back uh, products with it right now uh, either as add-ons or uh, you can pledge for it right away so uh, yeah we appreciate you taking a look at it and you can go to the Discami website, which is also in the description. We've got Bessem, we got Anime 5e, and I know we'll have some comments about that in just a moment. I think, Jade, you were the one that won Anime 5e last time, weren't you? Uh, absolute Power. Uh, again, the I did not understand this one. Again, sometimes I'm a little curmudgeon, I guess. But the people who won Pixies, Demon City, and Worms loved them. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, they're, they're kind of a neat products. They uh, kind of came up uh, during COVID lockdown when sitting at home. Not having a lot to do. I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to go in and do some interesting variations on the TriStat systems of what you can do when, rather than the very broad Bessem, which is everything, let's go extremely hyper-specific to say you are playing Pixies living in a house and you're trying to to clear the humans out of there to reclaim your space. That's a very, very specific genre. That's a subgenre of a genre. <laughs> and so these box sets are uh, analogous to the, the Friday night pick up and go where there's characters, there's adventures, uh, you know, really quick one shot stuff. You just, hand out characters to everyone. You don't have to create characters. You just start playing right away. Uh, so we'd like to think of them as your Friday night RPGs. And these are the, the three box sets we have currently, which happen to be on sale for the month of October uh, that we've, you know, it's, it's publicized through our different sites, but rather than $35 for each of these games, we're only on for 25 right now. All three of them are get the bundle for 70. If people are interested in checking them out. And, and I'll say it again, especially since they're on sale, 
people who got them wrote back to me saying that they were fun. So check them out. Um, I was going to say, oh, uh, there's a question over here. So Violent Solves Everything asks, any new Bessem stuff coming up in the near future? Oh, uh, so of course we have multiple different lines and we are a small company. We just recently fulfilled the Kickstarter and now they're in distribution as well of our big um, Bessem Multiverse line. So we had the Bessem Multiverse core book, uh, which is, or, or sorry, uh, core expansion. So this is the setting of uh, Bessem that covers the entire cosmology of it and uh, other accessories that came out with it, including, you know, you mentioned Carrie Gate earlier as one of the, the things that came out. So we did that. We did the crowdfunding campaign and yeah, there you go. Uh, and it is, has been fulfilled in the crowdfunding. It's in retail stores. Then we switched over anime 5e we just finished up uh, doing a crowdfunding campaign for that and then we switched over absolute power we're running it right now we are going to be circling back uh in early 2024 back to besom yes absolutely we're going to have more but of course we as a small company we don't have the resources to support everything all at once so we kind of focus and hit our different game lines at different times so keep an eye on our socials for early 2024 it's funny okay, to see, hear. That, that's that's where you messed up. You know what you have to do is do everything all at once, borrow <laughs> money from as many gangsters as possible, <laughs> and then just hope and pray you you can pay it back without losing your legs. Yeah, I mean, duh. <laughs> well, it's it's funny to hear Mark say that because Kevin and Sean were on here saying the same thing from Palladium Books. We're saying mm. the same things. Like we only have so many people, we only have so many hands that can write this stuff. We, have, you know, not to be fair, some of their things have been with people have been waiting on for like twenty some years. But you know, hey, you know, they work on the, <laughs> yeah, on the stuff that they can. You know. Right. Um, and and we we have high quality control. I mean, I I don't want to publish crap, so I want to make sure that all the stuff we do, whether it's the art or the writing, the concepts are all going to be good. And so that means, by necessity, we are going to have a slower production than just churn. Uh, we're not here to churn. We're here to produce good stuff. Uh, I'm doing this because I love the products that we do, and I want to make sure I continue to love the products that we do. Well, that's one of the reasons why I reached out to you uh, for this is, and I think I said it last time you're on, if not, I meant to, is that talking with Mark, talking with Kevin, uh, we talk with people that have passion for the hobby and their products. Mark doesn't just come on here like, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. <laughs> oh, can, can you buy my stuff? I no. got a boat to buy. Yeah, right. No, we're talking about it. You can tell not only does he know it now that might sound silly. Of course, he knows he wrote it. Uh, we've talked to some people who don't remember some of the stuff that they that, that they've written. But no, uh, knows what the intent is, know how it's supposed to sell, know how it's supposed to be taken, but still says it's your game. You do it. And and it's that kind of passion for that. When people have that for their games and for the hobby as a whole, we want to talk to them. And that's yeah, I, I really hate the the, the creators that uh make make a book give it out and say you must play it like this this game cannot be played unless you play it my way i'm the creator i know best and i look at those people and go man shouldn't have sold it to me then <laughs> yeah you, you you probably shouldn't have sold it for money because one, once yeah. i give you money for it i'm gonna consider it mine <laughs> you know i it's 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 like an artist getting mad that that the viewer is misinterpreting their painting it's like oh you, yeah you can't control what what people think about your stuff in their head. I'm sorry, you got to get over that. You're you're for some reason you're floating above everyone else. Try and come back to earth. All right. So I I, I like it that that you and a, a lot of the creators that I, that I respect uh, say, hey, this is my book. Do what you want with it. I'm not going to get mad as long as you have fun. That's my only rule. 
Well, and it's great because the book itself leaves some doors open. We've talked multiple times about that framework where it's like, no, hold on. I got to write a rule for this. I get part of me for bringing up other game systems here, but it's just our experience. Like with Palladium, we asked Kevin, like, hey, how do you handle the situation? He's like, how do you want? <laughs> you know, it's like, but the book says this, but that could mean different things. He's like, right. <laughs> you know, like, OK. You know, And then you've got the framework here. It's like play it how you want, adjust it as you need. You still enjoy it. You still keep writing. You've got more products coming out. The quality is insane for the, I, I mean that. I think the quality, one of the reasons I do keep buying them, it's like, I think that the quality, okay, that's all text. Sorry, no art there, but you know, uh, but still it's easy to read. Can we get some art? There we go. <laughs> I can't see if it's on the screen. No. Decent art. I mean, there are the pages in here that have like the, it looks like the top secret pages from World War II and, you know, that are very well laid out. I mean, so much of it is very well done and you didn't just slap something together. Now, to be fair, especially, you know, I put that comment up from L. Some OSR creators are like me. I go to, I have a full-time job. I'm not necessarily living paycheck to paycheck, but you can go with that. I don't, I wouldn't have time to do a lot of things uh, to make it as exceptional as this. And I understand that. But then there are those folks out there who you can just tell they slap stuff together. Every week, something new is coming out. And it's like, why am I buying this every week or every month? Give me something good. And these have always been good. Oh, thank you. And Talking about something good here, let me present one more thing. Because I know you wanted to make sure that people got some more information about this. Anime 5 Evil Stavia. Yeah, so this that's the previous to what we're doing now with Absolute Power. That was the most recent crowdfunding campaigns for our Anime 5e line. This was six different products that we did. So it was one of our larger ones that we ended up launching. Uh, and we're hovering, covering different things, whether it's setting book, uh, monster manual finally that we got a chance to get a monster manual out the creature cards there's a background generator for your character so you're rolling up you know what happened during your childhood and what happened during your adulthood and, and rolling that up uh and uh, you know an adventure that comes in there and then a set of gorgeous maps 10 different wall maps where if you actually have the nine of them up you can put them in a three by three grid of the entire world of falstavia so this Pardon is for interrupting but are, yeah. are they similar in quality to the besom ones that came with yeah, yeah. Same, same, exactly fantastic Thanks. We have the same uh, same cartographer, uh, same quality of the paper. Uh, this is something that we I wanted to go big with a big splash of follow up of the success of Anime Five E, and so we did the Kickstarter campaign. And this is going to be fulfilled in November. They're actually all the products are on the boat now. And then in November, we ship them out. They won't be in retail stores until next year because of the holiday. We hold that back for a couple months. But if people are still interested, there's chance. If if I know there's not maybe a lot of anime 5e gamers uh that would be your followers here but if anyone was interested in picking anything up whether it's the core rules or any of the new expansions we still have the late backer kit uh option on that so if you go to anime5e.com that can always redirect out to purchasing up these new products and so yeah we're really happy with the anime 5e line we think it's it's pretty spectacular for something that was my first role-playing experience with back in D&D. &D. And this is a way to merge the best of what we like about our Bessem and Tristat system with the fifth edition rule set and to create something that we think is, is pretty unique. Awesome. Hey, Jade, there you go. Throw up that whole fry, take my money meme because uh, I know Jade likes uh, anime 5e. So there's at least one out there. <laughs> but uh, 
All right. Uh, let me. It's such good information. I, I don't have any other questions. We're actually coming up on two hours, which is short yeah. for us. But uh, I, I'm that's, thinking this that's is what a good you agreed time. to. So we actually made the mark. It's amazing. <laughs> Weird, right? Because I'm used to going three <laughs> and four. But with that said, I don't want to just kick you off the stream here. Like we're done. Is there anything else that uh, that you want to bring up? Anything that I missed? Anything that uh, you think that would be beneficial for folks to know out there? <laughs> hug pillows yes um no i mean certainly i appreciate any time uh had a chance to come on here and talk to you both and you know kind of give some context to your viewership as well so thank you for having me on I oh, know absolutely that, you know it's you know we we are a small company but in the end uh i think that's some of our strength that we have with it and the support we've had uh with your backers whenever we had the uh, the medical kicks uh, mm -hmm crowdfunding campaign for my shoulder. It was greatly appreciated. I can't thank you enough for helping out with that. And okay. yeah, it's a pleasure to, whenever I come on here, keep an eye on any of our socials. We're at Discami, D-Y-S-K-A-M-I, <laughs> at Discami, uh, whether it's uh, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Uh, we do a lot of cross-posting because not everyone's everywhere. But, uh, you know, keep following us on stuff if you're interested in learning more. Um, yeah, that's pretty well it. Thanks for again for having me on. Absolutely. If you can hang up for just a Happy couple minutes here, we'll, we'll talk after the fact for just a moment. And sure. then, uh, uh, Heathen Doug, anything to wrap? Do you want to do some words of wisdom or anything or <laughs> to wrap this up or I'm not going to words. Okay. Uh, uh, absolute power. If you want a close to as possible turnkey world to plop your players into and just have them fit somewhere have, have, have plots that, that are started for you, uh, the ideas to move forward there for you. You don't want to put a whole lot of effort. You, you got a job, man. You got work. The, this, this should not take 80 hours a week to make your campaign. This is your deal. You want to play a superhero campaign. You don't want to just crib a uh, comic book and, and movie ideas. You want some original stuff, but damn it. I don't have the time to actually flesh out something to, to the detail where I won't feel embarrassed trying to run it. Absolute power is for you. That's it.